Welcome to Principles in Practice, episode number one, where we're going to be talking to two industry-leading executives about virtual hiring. Our first guest today is William Vanderblumen of the Vanderblumen Search Group. He's the CEO and co-founder of their executive search group dedicated to helping churches. He's also an established writer, and his latest book is Culture Wins. Our second guest is Chris Heeslip, who is the CEO and co-founder of Leader, a new type of people development software. Chris is also a dedicated entrepreneur with over 15 startups under his belt, including the highly successful Pushpay. So without further ado, gonna hand it over. Well, William, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about what you're seeing in the hiring world in the middle of uh, COVID. Oh, thanks, Chris. Great to be with you and uh, hear of your new adventures and and, uh, what a time to start a new company. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about you and how you started Vanderblomen Search Group. Yeah, so uh, our group helps Christian teams find their staff. And that might be, uh, well, your your former company, Pushpay, has hired us to do work for them. It might be churches hiring us. It might be a Christian school. But it's uh, organizations or teams that are devoted to moving Jesus' name forward that need help with their key staff. And so... Uh, we started because I am uh, probably rambling because I am a recovering preacher. So I uh, started out as a pastor, senior pastor of a fairly large church here in Texas. And uh, after a long run in ministry, tried my hand in the corporate world for a little bit and saw them using a search firm for the succession of their senior leader. And uh it, I was amazed how quickly they got things done and how efficiently and how different it was from the tedious process that churches use. So in 2008, I quit my job and uh, started a, a, a new idea for churches. I remember coming home, talked to Adrian. We'd just gotten married and blended our families. And I said, babe, I think I'm supposed to quit my job and start something new for churches. And she looked at me and said, that's because churches love new ideas, right? (laughs) And, uh, you know, she should have said, you're the visionary. You're such a great dreamer. Go back to work. And instead, she said, let's give it a run. And now, oh, 12 some years later, we've gotten to work all over the world and with really some of the finest Christian teams that are out there, whether that's a, a church of 70 in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, um, or uh, the largest and biggest schools and churches and Christian businesses. So a lot of fun. Absolutely. And obviously we've worked together before and uh, at Pushpay, we had a phenomenal experience with uh, your team. I mean, your whole team is amazing, but especially the consultative approach that you bring, it's it's so much more relational than I think a typical search firm who's just, you know, how fast can we get someone in to fill this position and move on to the next one? Because I just felt like you guided us every step of the way through the process. Well, thank you. That's the hope. Yeah, I, I we're not a call a hundred people hoping one will answer kind of. That's not our approach. And there's some people that do that, but that's just we're more. Uh, we'd rather be a Sherpa on the path up the mountain and uh, trying to help guide the way. Well, absolutely. Well, tell us about some best practices that an organization should think about. So they've decided they need to hire someone, they open a position, uh, they're looking to engage with a firm potentially. What are some of the things they should do to kind of really understand 
you know, right from the start, who they're trying to hire and what the role they're trying to fill is about? Uh, well, I think you've already said one of the smartest things, um, and that is speed is not your friend in hiring. Uh, you know, too often people wait too long to fire and then they're backed into a corner and they have to do a replacement hire and they feel like they have to do it very quickly. But I think the number one rule that I would pass on to your audience in HR is hire slowly, fire quickly. And I know that goes dead against the grain of the software world where you're having to hire and scale up fast and win the race to be the battle of the firstest and all that. So I, I get there's a relativity to, to all of this, but boy, I just not heard many people say, we took too long to make that great hire. I have heard people say, we went too fast and it just wasn't quite right. And undoing a bad hire, you know, it's, it's, it's like the old saying, Chris, uh, that I tell my kids all the time, if you don't have time to do it right, you really don't have time to do it twice. Absolutely. So I, I, I would say go slowly and deliberately. I think that uh, particularly in this age of pandemic, it's trickier than ever to hire. Because on the one hand, you, you might say, well, unemployment's you know, in double digits for the first time in forever. There are lots of great people. Well, if you're running a Christian organization, you want people that feel called to your ministry. Yes. not people that are desperate for a job. So how do you tell the difference between a, a, a head of a household that really just needs to put food on the table and somebody who feels really called? But that's going to take some time. And, and then on the flip side, really talented people who are in a good situation right now, I, I don't know anyone who's trying to add more uncertainty to their life during 2020. Like Absolutely. We've got we got plenty right here. So, you know, adding more by taking a new job and relocating family, that's hard. So the hiring is actually trickier right now than any time I've ever seen it. And it, it, it takes a little more time. And, uh, you know, once you've decided, okay, I'm going to take a little time, I think my number one advice to, to people is know yourself. You know, a, a great hire, the image we use all the time is you're calling us in to do an organ transplant, right? So like you need a major system run by somebody from outside your body. And uh, uh, we, we can go find, you need a kidney transplant. We can go find a donor list of kidneys. Yeah, that's great. But if there isn't a tissue match and you, you can put a healthy kidney into a healthy body and if the tissues don't match, it's just a bad ending for everyone. So that, that sounds morose, but uh, I think knowing yourself, not who you want to be, but who you really are culturally. Wow. And, 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 and there's a big difference between the two. I would love to win the NBA slam dunk competition. That would be <laughs> awesome, right? But it ain't happening. You know, I'd love to win the Masters. I don't think that's happening either anymore, but I had a better shot at it, you know, than, than in uh, the NBA. But uh, you know, too often I see people say we're going to hire for culture and then they set cultural values that don't reflect who they really are. And and they're just setting aspirational values and they're hiring mismatches and the tissue doesn't match and it's a bad transplant. So that's it's more rambling than you wanted. But I'm preparing for this. I've, I listened to some of the other podcasts you've done and you talk about kind of being led by the spirit versus uh, being too process driven. 
do you think people should sit down and they should write out a very prescriptive description of who they're trying to hire? So when someone ticks all these boxes, they kind of can say, oh, this person ticks 31 boxes, therefore the other person. Or do you think there's more kind of emotive, wow, this person feels right, maybe they're missing some parts. Or is there somewhere in between that you, you've seen work when you work with your clients? Yeah, I think the clear answer to your question is yes. <laughs> so it's all those things. Like uh, there is a process, there is a pattern. If you think about the creation narrative, what is the very first act God does? He brings order out of chaos. Yes. What does he do after that? He sets patterns into motion, day and night and seasons and months and years. So our God is not a willy-nilly God. I mean, he can do whatever he wants. And, and he, there are all kinds of cool stories in the Bible where he makes time stand still. Well, that happened once. <laughs> you know, other than that, it had, you know, and he raised Jesus from the dead. Well, that happened once. And, you know, so I think the 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 feeler in me wants to make hiring a spiritual thing where you just have to use the force, Luke, and turn off your computer and don't, <laughs> you know, like that, right? And And that's fine and well. There's a piece of that for sure, because there is no smoking gun. We, we have so many boards, Chris, whether it's a school or a nonprofit or a church, and they want us to administer a test to candidates so they can see who the right one to hire is. And, and if there is a verse that God keeps putting in my mind, the longer I do this work, it's, it's the line that David said when he said, oh my goodness, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm. And, and there, there is just, people are too complex to be reduced to a personality profile. Now they're helpful, right? So there's, that's a box, you know, personality profile. A box is competencies. Uh, a box is certainly character. Now we're, we're all flawed. If you, if you want to find out whether William's a sinner or not, I'll save you the work. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, but, but, but are there redundant patterns that uh, are there patterns that keep coming up or recidivistic patterns that keep coming up? Well, that's a box you need to check. Uh, Am I competent to do the work? That's a box you need to check. Do I fit the culture of the organization? Box you need to check. So there are all these boxes for sure, patterns. God loves patterns. At the same time, there is a moment where the work that we do and the work of hiring is really a gut level decision. And, and when you talk about the work of the, the priests in the Old Testament, and they wore these things on the breastplate, the umum and the thumum or something like that, right? It was basically two large dice <laughs> that they threw to make big decisions. Mm. And it's like, I can't figure it out. What do I do? Guide me, Holy Spirit. The last place they threw dice, by the way, is when the disciples chose a replacement for Judas and they chose Matthias. They got down to two, they cast lots. After that, Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit comes into the hearts of believers and you never hear about dice again. And, wow. and so there's a there's a thing that happens after all the check boxes and all the that you have got to be in tune with God's spirit to really understand is this someone that he's calling and placing in your organization because when that happens that's a magic you can't you can't uh, pay enough for it's it's priceless yes. absolutely when you find that perfect match and you say wow this person is the right person. So talk to me about how, so we've got a job description that's really clearly set out. We know our culture, we know the competencies we're looking for. We've articulated those and made sure that everyone's on the same page in our team. And then we want to start hiring and interviewing people. 
And uh, I know you're very passionate about culture. I know you talk about culture a lot with your team. You've got a book on culture. How do you screen for culture in an interview process kind of like practically? Yeah, yeah it's a great question. We, we went on a run of about five years uh, where we were winning all these awards for best place to work. And it's before culture was really a buzzword. And my team was smart enough to say, we need to write a book about this before we stop winning awards. <laughs> and they were right. Uh, and so, we, you know, I didn't want to be a book about us. So we went and interviewed about 150 uh, heads of organizations. So that's either CEOs or headmasters of schools or senior pastors. And, and some of them were Christian, some of them weren't. But they were all people who were winning awards for best culture. And we're like, what are they doing and what's congruent with how we're doing things. And, and one lesson that we heard over and over is they took a long time to figure out what their cultural values really were. Mm. Like North, North Point, who you and I know uh, very well, uh, they, they've got a great culture. And a few years back, so not a long time ago, but a few years back, they're like, we got too many insider jokes. We assume people know what the values are. We don't really know. So let's name our values. Well, if you know North Point Church in Atlanta, they have a pastor who's pretty dang good with words, like yes. arguably one of the best in the world. You would think the staff would look at Andy and say, go write down our values. They took a solid year to uncover their values. Wow. And we walked through that in the book, but I'll, I'll, give, I'll give your listeners one question that they might ask in a staff meeting. And maybe you start just with your senior 10 or 12 people, or if you're smaller than that, that whatever that number is. And, and you ask this question, you say, so first of all, let's tell some stories of some of the biggest wins we've had. When was a day you went to bed saying we did something good today in whatever your field is, right? So you tell those stories for a while and then you then, then ask this question. So if we look at these stories and we look for common threads, answer this question, when we are functioning at our very best, what do we do that's common to us that's uncommon to mm. other teams around us. So let's say it again. When we're functioning at our very best, not at our worst, when we're functioning at our very best, what do we do that's common to us, just secondhand, that's uncommon to other teams around us? It's like too often uh, people define their cultural values and they just look up some really great words. Like uh, there, there's a company here in Houston that had the values of trust, <laughs> integrity, transparency and communication. I think those were the four values. And the company yep. was called en Enron, yep. <laughs> right? So like, no, that's not who they were. I mean, they just picked that. Or if you're a, a church of a couple hundred and you're like, man, it, Stephen Furtick's got the best thing going on in the world. Let's just take their values and use it. Doesn't work. It's what you as your team, when you're functioning at your very best, do that's common to you and uncommon to others around you. And here's how this works in interviewing. So I'll take one example from our company. One thing that we do that's frankly a little dysfunctional is we're kind of OCD about getting back to people. And we're not perfect, we mess it up, but, but as a rule, we're gonna get back to people scary quick. What we've learned over the years is nobody gets back to anybody. Like the standard practice is very slow response time. And it's just amazing to me. Like I used to walk around and say, speed wins. Like if you just get back to people, they'll still sit there for 
they'll go on. I can't believe you actually got back to me. Right. Well, yes. And not with an automated reply and, you know, uh, calling me Bruce since that's my first name and not William, which is what I go by, you know, like, no, uh, like a real response quickly. So, and, and it's, it's something that's born out of my personality. I started the company with nothing in 2008, which was a brilliant time to quit your job and start something new for churches. And so, you know, if I didn't get back to people quickly, we didn't eat. Yes. <laughs> so, so as the company grew, I kept hiring people with the same neurotic compulsion to get back to people. Well, it's just kind of who we are now. And so we know that about ourselves. We know that that makes us weird. I know that means there's some super qualified people who would be very unhappy and a bad fit at our company, right? Doesn't mean we're better. It's just our idiosyncrasy that makes our culture what it is. Okay. So when we're interviewing, we interview for the value we've named is ridiculous responsiveness. We interview for that. Uh, you know, Chris, we fly you to, to Houston to come check out what we're doing. Now it's a short flight for you now. You're in Dallas. So you just jump on that bus called Southwest Air. <laughs> and uh <laughs> zip on down here, but you have a long day and then you're delayed going back because it's raining yet again in Houston. And uh, you get in late and it's 10 o'clock and you know you just want to see your family. And, and then you get a text from a number you don't know. And it's, well, hi, Chris, my name's Holly. I work with William and I wasn't in the office today, but I heard you did an awesome job. I'd love to get to know you sometime. So, so you ignore that, no, no big deal. You're not going to lose the job. You know, you, you, respond to Holly and say, hey, just walking into dinner with family, but let's talk later. Ding, 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 ding. Wow. You know, you now don't do it while you're driving, right? There's there's ridiculous <laughs> and then there's insane. But but like Holly might even text you back and say, oh, that's awesome. I'm just sitting around watching the Texans play Monday night football. We're horrible. And I, I don't think there's any chance we win the Super Bowl. And and if you don't write back, fine. But if you write back and you and you say, you know, it's funny, I was just thinking about that, and I looked up the odds, and it's actually six thousand four hundred and fifty-one to one that the Texans are going to win the Super Bowl ever, you know. And and now now okay, one thing we do at when we're our best is we we get asked to solve problems we've never seen before. Yes. And a lot of times the normal response for people when they have a problem they've never seen is, I can't do it. How would we? Not, let's find the solution. So the value for us is solution side living. That's another one of our nine values. And, and if you just responded to Holly with a solution to a problem you'd never seen before, that really means nothing to your world. Now it's like, wow, Chris, Chris might be the same kind of crazy we are. Oh, uh, and, and if you make a snarky comment like, but we all know Jesus will probably get back before the Texans ever win the Super Bowl. Now you're fun, which is another <laughs> one of our And so now you got the job all done, tie it up, just come in and sign the papers. No, not that fast. Don't go too fast. But 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 our interview is built around our cultural values. One of our values is ever increasing agility. Now, some parts of our company need more agility than others. I don't want a creative finance director. Like that's not a good thing, right? <laughs> and and agility in finance is a different thing than agility in marketing or creative or but but we've been known, you know, I'm telling you all my tricks, but we've been known to change the time and place of the interview at the last minute. 
and call it cruel, call it entrapment, but just see what the response. Maybe That's there's amazing. A, why am I doing that? Am I doing it to be unfair? No. Am I doing it to be abusive? No. I'm doing it to give you a preview of what it's going to be like working at our company. And if you don't like that or you don't respond well to it, that's fine. We can spend a lot of time together in heaven. It'll be awesome. But for you to excel where we are, we now know our kind of crazy. We know when, what, when we are at our very best, what do we do that's uncommon to others, that's common to us? We know those things. So we interview around those things without saying, so Chris, we have a value of ever-increasing agility. What do you think about agility? Like that, no, <laughs> like real-time laboratory hiring around the values, but it starts with knowing what those values are. And the bad news is even great organizations like North Point, it can take a year to figure that out. So Absolutely. once it's figured out, or if you're starting from the ground up, it's a whole different story. But once it's figured out, man, you, you can move pretty quickly in your hiring uh, and, and then slow down and spend the times that you on the, on the parts that you can't figure out. I love that Sorry. so much. I mean, I think culture is, you know, more important than just about anything else in an organization. And, and what you're describing is, you know, this combined with what you started with, Hey, let's slow down. Let's make sure we get the people right. And let's figure out how to test for these values is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and you mentioned, you know, this is our kind of crazy. One of the things I've heard you talk about, uh, William, is that you have tried to sell someone out of coming to work for your organization. How absolutely talk to me about that. I mean, uh, for a, a recruitment firm to talk someone out of uh, coming to work there. I mean, it seems paradoxical. So I'd love to hear about yeah. the intentionality yeah. behind it. Yeah. Well, you know, some of the studies we've done, Chris, have shown that uh, roughly two-thirds of Americans hate their job. That's a strong sentence. Uh, two-thirds is a big number. Hate is not mildly dislike thinking of making a change. They hate their job. And, and most of the time, it's not actually the work, unless you've got some really bad, like road work in Houston during the summer, like that's a bad job, doesn't matter how good your team is, that's no fun. But most of the time, people will join a company for its cause, but they leave a company because of the manager. Mm. It's just, it's over and over, they'll come for a reason, they'll leave because of a person. And if two thirds of Americans hate their job, how cool would it be if we built a company where nearly everyone who'd ever worked there before would say, my time there was great and it came time to move on, but my time there was awesome. So I would rather from the beginning tell people, please don't come here. I made a lot of, one of the biggest mistakes I made hiring as a young guy was just hiring for talent. I'm just gonna get the most talented people and and because talent's rare, we'll get talent, I'll get out of their way. And, and then I realized why very few people have done a good job of coaching the Olympic men's basketball team because you get all the talent on the court and everybody's like, ball, 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 ball. I want the ball. Yes. It, it doesn't function as a team. And, and so I, I'm far less interested in competency now because I think a lot of competency can be taught. I'm much more interested in cultural fit. And our work is a weird work. I mean, we'll turn around and be working with World Vision on some massive human relief effort that they're doing and they're a global deal. And then we'll turn around and we'll help a church of a hundred find their pastor. And it might be a 
congregational church in New England that's looking for a female pastor because that's all of your heart. And it might be a Baptist church in the middle of nowhere that doesn't drink, smoke, have drink, play cards, whatever. The, you know, and it, there are lots of really good people that just would not. They go a little crazy working for all those different kinds of. So one of our one of our cultural values is broadband love. Mm. We're like the church is bigger than we think it is, and we've decided we would rather get in trouble with Jesus for serving too many parts of the church than too few. And and that's going to make some people who are very specific or fine-tuned on their doctrine say, I can't do that. And uh, like uh, one of our best consultants ever, he's, he's a pastor now. He was a pastor before and he came and he was with us in an awesome job. And he's complementarian. You know, he's, he believes men should be pastors and not women. The very first search we gave him, we made, we made him find a female uh, a female executive pastor. And he was awesome at it because he had broadband. He was able to say, hey, this is what I believe that I can put. So not everybody fits with us. And we're real clear on that. So my first job in interviews is to make sure these folks know what they're getting into and to say, I don't know that you really want to work here. It looks fun. looks like a cool job. We get to work with all these cool people, but it's it's not for everyone. Yeah, I it, and I wouldn't know how to do that if I didn't know our cultural values. Yes, that's amazing. Let's let's change gears and talk about what you're seeing right now in the in the world of hiring. Uh, obviously, being in this kind of COVID world, um, how has it impacted what you do, and and how are you doing uh, searches remotely now over Zoom? And if so, how is that experience for both the the hiring organization and the candidate. Yeah, well, let me let me preface all that with a very firm belief I have that uh, if you look at church history as a whole, like all the way back to the beginning, and you ask yourself, when did the really big moments of seismic church growth happen? I believe there's a common denominator, and the common denominator is seismic church growth happens right after a big communication breakthrough. Mm. So, so Rome builds roads like no one ever has. Paul hits the road and plants churches that become the churches, of the new Testament. So, so then Alexander does this basically taking over the world and there's a Koine Greek finally, instead of 45 dialects or whatever, and you fast forward a little while, and there now that we have a common Greek, we can have a New Testament canonized, right? Uh, go go a millennia past that, twelve hundred years past that. Printing press is invented. Yep. Luther puts a Bible in everybody's hands. There's a Protestant Reformation. It's amazing. I've said since the internet started, this is a communication breakthrough worth paying attention to, church because it is going to usher in kingdom growth, like maybe like we've never seen before. I, I really believe if Jesus waits for a long time to come back and history's written, there's going to be a slice of history. I used to think, how cool would it have been to grow up during the Renaissance? Like when all this art's coming out and all the, well, I think we're living in one. And yes, there's a pandemic. And yes, there's race riots. And yes, 
we're facing a presidential election that has polarized the two dogs in my house because everyone has an opinion. <laughs> but I mean, yes, it's a hard year. But man, if you drop back and look, we are living in an amazing time. So I am the first to embrace communication breakthrough. Okay, so that's a long-winded answer. But I, I, I so thank God that the pandemic didn't hit until we had the technology that we have. And, and yes. we've been practicing this for a year. We've, we've probably done 20,000 Zoom interviews before the pandemic. Wow. So we, this is not like new to our company. So we're all for it. It's helped. I mean, I think it's going to be a both and for churches going forward. I don't think they're just going to be remote, but my goodness, could we have the finance committing a meeting over Zoom instead of dragging ourselves up to the church, you know? Uh, so, so I'm all for the communication. Now, here's, here's the backside of that statement. When it comes to hiring a critical team member, there is no replacement for face-to-face. And, and, and I'll just give you this theological thought to, to chew on a little bit. If today's communication were really as good as face-to-face, why didn't Jesus just zoom it in? <laughs> right? I mean, why did he choose to be born in this smelly stable and come? Why was that what the Bible calls the fullness of time? Why not now when we're modern and wonderful? I don't think there's a replacement for incarnational face-to-face meeting. And so you ask how we're doing hiring now. Yeah, we're doing a lot more virtually. Um, it's a lot more triage. It, and we're learning some tricks about how to do that better. Uh, but there is so much communication that goes on when two people are in a room. There's just an energy. There's a, it's, it's back to that question of process versus spirit, right? There's you, that feel of, is this right or not? I, I know that sounds like an evasive answer, but, but we are reserving our face-to-face interviews for the most critical parts of our process, uh, which is saving our clients money on travel. That's awesome. But uh, I, I have not found a replacement for face-to-face, on a, particularly on a critical hire. Now, I will say this. If the job is a job that's going to be executed virtually, absolutely you can interview virtually. Online that's campus not. pastor, why not? You know, uh, my friends at Belay that, that you know very well, they want to interview virtually. It's awesome. All their work's done virtually. But if you're going to have somebody that's doing human interactions and call them pastor, then I think you're shortchanging the church to not have some face-to-face. And our clients are starting to see that. I think we're also starting to see that the, you know, there's a, there's a, a great advantage to us being able to go remote. In our office, we were preparing to start five remote offices throughout the country. We literally had signed the paperwork on one and hired a guy for another at the end of February. And obviously we had to undo that and, take a time out and see how this was all going to play out. But, uh, you know, as much as we are prepared for the Zoom world, um, I think you're starting to see that workforces are saying, yeah, we're not as productive if we work from home. It, it, it takes a rare individual with a super high amount of discipline to truly leave home behind and do work without actually leaving home. I, I, will, I agree with that 100%. Can you just double click on that for a second in terms of what, what that means tactically? So in terms of a search process, what you're seeing is 
at least those initial interviews uh, we're going to be doing over Zoom. We're going to be trying to, you know, talk to dozens of people potentially. But then what we're saying, as long as we get out of two or three people towards the end of the process, we're definitely going to be having those in person. Is that a good summary? Yeah, yeah, Chris, and I, and, and I would say that it, uh, there's a fork in the road. And the fork is this. If, if you're talking about support staff, I think you can do more and more and more virtually. We started a sister company recently. It's called Christian Teams. It's just for support roles. It's, it's not full executive search. It's where you really do need candidates fast. You know your culture. You have a good hiring process. And you need us to vet a short list of candidates and bring them to you. That yes. I think I can do virtually. And yes. then trust you to take it from there. Uh, what I would call, and, and pastors might not like this term, but what I would call the C-suite of an organization uh, or in pastor talk, the pastor and the exec pastor and maybe the finance director, you know, sort of the top tier. Uh, I, I really think the finalists you have to see face to face, but you can do virtual all the way up to interviewing finalists. Love it. Now talk about when you started doing Zoom, I'd love to hear about some of the learnings that you kind of found, like what, what didn't go so good when you started doing, and probably this was a few years back, even before COVID, I'm okay. guessing. But like, what, no, we, what were some of the things that worked and didn't work? Yeah, I think we started using Zoom the first week it was available. It, <laughs> it, we No, we really did, because Citrix was horrible. Sorry for Citrix fans out there. I actually get hate mail from Citrix people for mentioning Zoom so much. I'm not kidding. Uh, and, you know, WebEx, all of it. We couldn't find a platform. Maybe we were theological imbeciles or technological imbeciles and just didn't know what we were doing. But we've been using Zoom a long time and it's whether it's Zoom or Skype or what have you, I think one really critical thing to understand with virtual uh, interface is it's a great way to interface with someone you already know. Yes. It's a horrible way to have a first introduction. And, and I think that people need to recognize that and my experience has taught me people are afraid of the hard work of hiring. It's part of the reason we, I need a DI on the disc and that's it. Or I, you know, they need to find a way to cut people out or make snap judgments. I, I read an interview with the CEO recently that said, I do seven minute interviews and then I just know. And I bet you anything in 10 years, she writes another article about I was wrong. Uh, as people are just, so meeting first time over, over virtual is really hard. And there's some things you can do. I mean, camera angles. I mean, the normal camera angle for Zoom is the laptop's down here and you're looking up my, and then I've got my Jesus, or is it the light? You know, it's awful. And I've got 15 chins and I'm washed out. And, you know, I, I, I think the, the, the grace people have for lack of productive production quality is pretty high right now because we've all been stuck at home. But but don't underestimate good lighting, good camera angles, good preparation. I, I very rarely do this over Wi-Fi. I just don't trust it. it, it I've never had a wired connection go out and Wi-Fi has happened too many times. Uh, I, I would say be prepared. I think of, of whether you're on the candidate side or on the interviewer side, a virtual interview requires more preparation than an in-person interview. Yes. And you say, why? Well, for starters, if you're really going to connect with people, you can't look at them. I'm looking at the green dot on my screen. I would, I want to look down at you, but then I'm not looking at the, you know, I, so I better know a lot about you and be able to interact with you without reading your face. And that's hard, right? 
uh, I better be on time. And that means uh, the first board meeting I had at a church, I was the young associate pastor at this church full of retirees. And I got there two or three minutes late and I thought, well, we're fashionably late and everybody just stared at me. And then this wonderful older man uh, who didn't seem very wonderful at the time uh, leaned up and said, you know what we learned on Okinawa? I'm like, oh gosh, this is not good. (laughs) (laughs) What did you learn on Okinawa, sir? Marines, we have a saying, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. If you're late, you're dead. (laughs) I'm like, Wow, welcome to church. Uh, but 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 he was right, and he's particularly right about virtual meetings because if I had a nickel for every time I've met a candidate who the first five minutes of the meeting is, is this on? Do you, can you hear me? Can yeah. like all that needs to be done before the camera ever comes on. So be prepared like you would never be prepared, both on a logistics side and doing your homework. Learn the candidate and their family well enough that you're not trying to look at them and figure out what are they, you know. So you can look at the green dot, learn enough about their life that you can try and have a real conversation when you're really talking to a screen. So and does that it, apply to the interviewer as well? Not obviously not just the both, interviewee. Yeah, both and yeah, both and. I mean, you don't want to come off like the creepy stalker, like you know, I saw your son's kindergarten play the other day. On no, no. <laughs> so, but but it doesn't take a lot of work to be prepared. You know the the old. NBA great coach, Phil Jackson, coached the Lakers and the Bulls, more NBA titles than any. They, he was asked in one interview, what's the secret to your success? And he said, you know, I am just amazed at how people don't listen. And if you'll just take the time to listen, you'll know what to say. And now Phil loves to do Phil's deep thoughts, but the man did win some games, right? And he managed some personalities. And uh, I think the interviewing takeaway there is do some listening ahead of time. Like if you're interviewing with a church, find out, or if you're interviewing a candidate, find out if the other person on the call is already open. Find out if they're in a hotspot. Find out if they're meeting in person. Are the kids meeting in person yet or not? You know, if it's a school, are they having to do virtual learning? Because there's some serious pain points. And when you will identify with people's pain points, you, you immediately create a bond that mitigates some of the lack of bond that happens in virtual. That's amazing. Talk to me about how you've had to adapt the process of interviewing for virtual. Are there any other specific things that you've had to do or change? Um, and maybe related to that is, is, you know, how do you screen, like we just talked at the top of this um, call about a lot of the things that uh, we've, built to test, you know, culture fit, how do we adapt that for a virtual environment? It seems that there's a lot of things, especially in interviewing for culture, that is much more challenging to do virtually. Very, very difficult. And I think you just have to know your cultural values and be able to ask, how can I interview for agility when we're doing this over Zoom? How can I interview for broadband love? How can I interview for ridiculous responsiveness? And, uh, You know, honestly, Chris, I think part of the interviewing now is, like it or not, uh, nearly every position, there's some that aren't so much, but nearly every position that we interview for, the person in their job is going to have to do something over Zoom. You know, if it's a president of a university, they're going to have to do some things over Zoom they've never done before. 
you know, gone are the days of, well, we're either University of Phoenix or we're Harvard. Like, no, everybody's everything now. Yes. So, you know, same with churches. You can't just preach in a room. You have to be able to preach to a camera, right? So I think we, we are actually assessing some of the candidates' ability to do things virtually because part of the job is going to have to be done virtually. Uh, I think we're learning that it's more important than ever to interview for the person's ability to celebrate their local context. Now, what do I mean when I say that? Uh, nonprofit, school, church, company, whatever it is, now that the world has flattened and you can receive instruction from any school anywhere from your, your bed, or you can receive the best sermons in the world on your morning run, Everybody's figured that out now. So why in the world would somebody come listen to me preach in my 500-person church? Here's why. Because you're the only person that's been appointed to pastor that particular spot and those particular people. So when I'm trying to figure out if you're good for a fit, I want to know, what have you done to love your community? What have you done with your particular local context? Because the, the big content is flattened and everybody can receive the best of the best. So how are you, I call it hyper-contextualizing your ministry or wow. your work at a school. And, and if I can see that you've been able to figure out ways to minister in a way that nobody else can to your particular environment, that tells me it's time to start interviewing you about this other particular environment and whether or not you can transfer to there. And that's a whole nother puzzle and a whole nother podcast. But, but I think that's a, a few things that we're learning as we go and, and we're learning more every day. And how does that change? Because we do so much more virtual, how does that change when you get down to the final, say three or four candidates, how does that change how you interact with them? Do you try and spend more time with them? Uh, because now we're down to, uh, a small group and we've got to choose from them. Do we have them come in for a half day where maybe they would come for an hour because we've met them multiple times. How, how does it change the kind right. of in-person part? I think it depends entirely on the position you're interviewing for. Okay. And then, it, uh, and what I mean when I say that is the farther up the org chart you go, the more time you need to spend with them. Okay. What would be a good example for, like for a senior, you know, C-suite role, how much would you suggest that someone would need to? Well, I'm, okay. This is going to sound self-serving, but uh, I love it when a top candidate for a really important position plays golf because you get five or six hours together and there is no hiding who you are when you're on the golf course. <laughs> like if you have a temper, it's coming out. If you're, if you're careless, if you if you're if you have reckless abandon and take it over the water every hole it comes out like you're going to show me who you are on the and so that, if you're too good like at golf a, then you get disqualified right because you well, clearly spend too I, much time. I, I, <laughs> that that is a possibility right yeah but um but if you can hit the ball 300 yards you know the men in your church are going to want to know more about Jesus so it's uh you know if you, <laughs> No, that's just one example. But I, I, I think, I mean, you can't spend forever with somebody and you've got to have a template. And we, after doing 20,000 or so interviews, we do have a process we walk people through that we're pretty confident with. Uh, and I don't know how you learn how to do that other than doing 20,000 interviews. I mean, mm -hmm. repetitions are sometimes the the engine that creates expertise, right? Uh, so I, 
I, I would say the position, the higher the org chart, the more time you spend together. And then the type of work they're doing, if it's highly interpersonal, then there needs to be more interpersonal time spent. And, and I, I, I'm picking on the finance director. I love our finance director. She's awesome, but she really have to interact with people a lot. So it's not as, I mean, it really is about the, the numbers, you know? Uh, so we want a cultural fit. You don't want to hire a brilliant jerk. That's never fun. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think it depends on where they are in the org chart and what's the nature of the work they're doing. Got it. Have you seen uh, got a story perhaps where someone did this really well? Managed to did fit the, the hiring process to, you know, their unique culture and in terms of building out, you know, a hiring plan. Yeah. yeah well, I would put our hiring plan up against most and we don't get it right all the time, but it's, it's pretty dang good. And I don't even do a whole lot of the interviews anymore. Um, you know, on the church side, Life Church does an amazing job, uh, and it is it is a grueling interviewing process. But they move very very fast, so the interviewing process is just a prelude to what it's like to actually work there. That's the best thing is when the interview process is a mirror image of what it's like to work there. The the worst is when they don't match. That's where uh, you know I, I tell people all the time whether I'm talking to a candidate or a church, I think my job in this equation, to borrow from a biblical story, uh, part of my job is to make sure nobody walks down the aisle with Rachel and wakes up next to Leah. You know, like, <laughs> I married who I thought I did, not, oh gosh, who's that? <laughs> so uh, when, when there's a mirror image between interview process and what it's like to work here, that, that always has a higher probability of, of working out. This has been amazing, William. I'd love to move to uh, the quickfire segment. We're going to fire some questions yeah. at you and uh, sure. give us give us some some short answers here. So the first question is, uh, tell us the most impactful book that you've ever read. The Bible. Apart from the Bible. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I can't pick a favorite flavor. I can't pick a favorite color. I can tell you the best book I've read in the last year outside the yeah. Bible, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Fantastic. And I've read it a couple times now. It's a fantastic book, tiny changes that will make a giant difference. And I would suggest it even if you just want something to get sermon illustrations from. It's an amazing book. Okay. Tell us about your leadership style. Oh, it's changed all the time. I think now I've moved more into being a, a delegate and trust. And I have highly competent people around me. So I know that things are actually going to happen. And I think I'm learning what I'm not good at and I'm staffing around that. Uh, I've, I've quit trying to hire people that are like me because that's not a great idea. <laughs> well, and I think that's the natural tendency for leaders, right? Is to build an organization sure. full of people like them. Um, and then when things break, you, people, you don't know how to fix it because you've got too many of the same that's people right. on, the, on the bus. Okay. Third question. How do you define success? Ah, uh, uh, you know, success for me is that uh, when I uh, uh, die, Jesus is going to look at me and say, well done. And I'd love to hear, uh, yes, you're forgiven of the things you did that were not good. And I'd love to hear you did a good job trying to move my name forward. I'd love to hear that uh, you did a good job of being a husband to Adrian and a father to the seven children that you have. 
And, you know, I tell our team this all the time, but I, I am convinced that when Jesus and I have our immovable appointment, call it, uh, he is going to look at me and he's going to say, why, why did you do that to my chessboard? Why'd you move the person where you moved them? Why'd you? And I, I really want that to be a good conversation. And that sounds melodramatic, but uh, this is so far from a transactional business for us. This is super holy ground and uh, success for me would be hearing well done on those fronts. That's so great to hear your heart. I think, I mean, so often we just see the the day-to-day, -day, hey, you know, this person's in this line of work, but to hear your heart behind why you do what you do, mm -hmm. uh, I think that's incredible. Okay, fourth question. Uh, apart from Zoom, tell us about a piece of software that you've been enjoying lately. Can I? Can it be an app? Sure. Yeah. So training peaks. So I, I turned one of those round numbers this year. You know, so I get five extra minutes to try and qualify for Boston, the marathon. So I'm trying to uh, instead of gain the COVID nineteen, I'm trying to get in shape and see if I, Boston's on the bucket list. I don't know if I'll get there or not, but Training Peaks is like individualized running coaching uh, that I think I pay $2 a week for, and I get regular emails, and then the coach loads, reviews my workouts, how I did heart rate, elevation gain, all that, and loads the next day's workout into my watch for me. Wow. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So, yeah, but I, I geek out on techie stuff. So, you know, I could answer a lot of different things, but right now training peaks is, is uh, my very favorite. I love it. Okay. Last question. What is the biggest distraction working from home? I have seven children. I have a beautiful wife. I have dogs that bark. Oh man, there's a huge list. Yeah. I, I, I really don't know. I have one friend who works from home, who built his office. He retired at 35 or something. He sold part, part of a selling of a company. I started another company and you have to card swipe to get into his office inside his house. <laughs> like for real. <laughs> and it's ROI would be quite good on that. <laughs> and it's soundproof and it has a separate exit for him to go out on the porch and think and nobody can get to that porch but, but him. Uh, so it's not even really fair. It's not like he's at home. It's like he's at an office. So I, I think it's probably the same for everybody. I mean, family's here and I, I am one that um, I have to work to complete a task and then stop and then complete it. I'll get distracted. And, and there are just too many good things around here to distract me. And distractions take longer out of my day than I ever think they really will. I'm just waiting for someone to answer that question by saying the biggest distraction is their fridge or something. <laughs> Obviously not you because you're training for a marathon. So. Oh, well, we're trying slowly. Yeah. I love it. Well, I have two last questions here just about leadership in general. I mean, when you you've interacted with and met with, I mean, some of the greatest leaders, I think, especially in the church that we that we have, what what are some of the things that you've just observed that they have in common? You know that that we can all learn from. Well, there 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 are a very there's a very short list, and I won't name names, but every now and then a convergence comes together of a leader who has amazing intuition and amazing strategic thinking. 
Uh, I, I think I've seen great intuition in a lot of leaders. I've seen great strategy in a lot of leaders. But when the two come together, oh my gosh. And, and I'll pick one that's it, Chris Hodges at Church of the Highlands. Uh, you know, a lot of his friends call him the professor because uh, he just kind of has a system for everything. Well, what people don't forget about him if they don't know him or haven't known him for long is he was a worship leader. Like he's an artist at his core. So he has this amazing sense of feel for what's going to work, but then has the ability to put strategy and attention behind it. And it, I just find myself asking, how do I increase both of those things? It's like the killer work ethic and the natural ability, right? That That's the Tiger Woods effect. There have been a lot of guys with talent, maybe not as good as Tiger, but a lot of talent. There have been a lot of people with work ethic. Tiger's the only one that's done both those things. So it's this this amazing ability in leaders to, to, to hone their intuition and their sensitive side, sensing where God's leading, but also have incredible strategy behind it so it's scalable and repeatable. Mm, that's great. Okay, last question. I would love to hear about a leader who made a personal difference in your life. I just, I have this theory now that, um, you know, 20, 30 years from now, we're going to forget a lot of the day-to-day and the grind and all of the things we do, but we will remember how leaders made us feel. And I think I can remember, you know, multiple times it's, it's people who believed in me when maybe they didn't have to. I mean, I just think one of the things leaders impart to people is that, that it makes people feel valued. I'd love to hear about a story, a time where there was a leader who just, you know, really um, made, made you feel like you could succeed when maybe you didn't think you could. Well, there's a lot of them. I mean, I, golly, I could pick a lot of them and, and I'll make part of the crowd mad for picking any one of them. But, uh, you know, you're going to laugh. Uh, and I'm not picking some PhD president of this, some Princeton seminary and all. Uh, Joel Osteen uh, has been a friend for a long time. We're here in Houston together and I won't bore you with long stories, but uh, we just ended up in the same crowd several times. And I was at a really, really low spot in my life one time. And my whole world had fallen apart. And I ran into Joel at the mall. I mean, okay, how many things are wrong with that sentence, right? Like, who goes to the mall, William? Really? Yes, that's how bad life was at the moment. Uh, I was taking, I'd, I'd gotten a moving violation for something stupid. And I was taking defensive driving online. And I'm like, I got to get out of the house. It's terrible. So I'm at the mall, I'm walking around and I, I run into Joel and he didn't even have his like, uh, if, you, if you're on TV as a preacher, you draw crazy people to yourself. So you have to have somebody there to kind of look after you. And he didn't even have Johnny with him. Uh, and we stood and talked for a while and he heard that, you know, here I was a single dad. This is before Adrian and I were together and married and I'd had four kids on my own. And he knew that I'd left my church and he said, why don't you come sit with Victoria and me in church Sunday? I'm like, okay, that sounds good. Well, I grew up Presbyterian. So in Presbyterian world, the first row where Joel and Vic sit, like nobody sits there. Like you, you would pay people to sit there, right? But Lakewood's from a different part of the kingdom. It's the, it's the charismatic world. And the front row is like the royal box, right? So I walk in and sit down and sit with Joel and Victoria and their kids and her mother and everybody on the rows behind us are like, who in the world is that? And he just, he was like, why don't you just come, keep coming? And he just kept pouring into me and my kids. And he had that line that he said eight bajillion times, 
you are not a victim, you're a victor. And you know, I could point to hundreds of leaders that have poured into me, but I think at that moment in my life, that was the very best thing Jesus could have said to me, and he used Joel to do it. Wow. What an incredible note to finish on, William. That is amazing. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your website, uh, Twitter? Sure. Yeah, I think, so we, we named our company Vanderblumen for one reason. I have a horrible last name. You can misspell Vanderblumen in Google about 100 different ways, and it'll take you right to our site. And everything you need is there. There's about 3,000 free resources for leading teams. Uh, podcasts, all the social connections for media and such. So just try misspelling Vanderblum and you'll get there. That's great. Well, William, thank you so much for your time. This has been incredible and I know our audience is going to love it. Well, thanks, Chris. Best wishes with you and Leader and uh, we're cheering for you and know that God's going to do great things through it. Thanks for joining us today and we'll see you next time on Principles in Practice. Just want to say a thank you to Chris and William again for joining us today. And if you liked any of their content, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also check out some links that we got down in the description below. They're going to have some free goodies in there, some free downloadable resources for you to check out. If you want to stay up to date, definitely subscribe. We're going to have our first live event next week with Brian Miles. He's going to be talking about remote management and everything about it. He's been doing it from home since 2010 at his company that he founded, Belay. So we'll see you next time on these principles and practice.